What's up, everybody? Josh out of Oak Bike here, and we're jumping into part two of the interview I did with Larissa Connors. So much great information here. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. I hope you guys enjoy. All right. Bye. Um, I want to talk to you about nutrition. Yeah. Um, what did you, so kind of like from, you, you started off with cross country, then you went into like ultra endurance and then like now you're doing like the ultra endurance gravel or you did the ultra endurance gravel. Was there like a big learning curve there for like, okay, I need, I really need to eat a lot more and like teaching yourself to eat more. Um, like, or what happened there? So I definitely did learn to eat more because the thing that I am having the hardest time with now coming back is eating enough on my bike rides, <laughs> but, uh, because I've unlearned it somehow, but I don't. So the cross country, even though the races were only an hour and a half, the demand, like the caloric demand was still really high because the intensity was a lot higher. So I do, I do need to think more uh, like plan it more how much I, how much food I pack and how many calories are in bottles and stuff when I'm doing ultra endurance races, but the it, per hour, it ends up being really similar amount of food. So it's just a bigger breakfast, a bigger dinner the night before, and then the same number of calories per hour. So it translated really well from my cross country racing because the intensity is so high. Um, but I'm not like a crazy meticulous, like plan it out with a spreadsheet, how many calories per hour and what's at the agents person. I'm more of a, I'm racing my bike. I stop and fill up my bottles with hammerhead. And then I get really bad gastrointestinal issues because apparently my body doesn't like drinking something new on race day. <laughs> Fly by the, your pants. <laughs> Larissa, this is this is the exact <laughs> advice that we tell this is what we tell people not to do i know i tell people not to do it <laughs> <laughs> so many stomach aches like it's it's true like you shouldn't do it because you don't want to experience what i've experienced <laughs> so what about so in your wins in your leadville wins and your other 100 mile wins did you kind of like battle through those or did you were those like like times when that didn't happen Leadville, it didn't happen because I actually had support at Leadville. So my husband, both the times I won it was in the feed zone and I had another friend and my husband was at pipeline and my other friend was at Twin Lakes. And so they had bottles with my specific drink mix. And I don't remember how I ended up getting, I don't think I ate enough, but I like I've took goose from the side of the road from, uh, Yuri was at the base of Columbine. So I, didn't plan out all of my nutrition meticulously, but I was a little more prepared for Leadville both times. The other races I did, I didn't have any support because my husband has a job and he's not going to travel every weekend with me and live in a van by the river. I, I'm sure he wanted to, but I was on my own. And when you're on your own and it's a hundred mile race and I don't want to do the whole bag drop thing and like have to sort through bags to find my specific bag just to get a bottle of a specific drink mix. So I just kind of, that's why I end up with so many stomach aches. So maybe it's worth it. But I was like, I can't be bothered to stop for that long. I have to go as fast as I can all the time. No stopping. <laughs> uh, so the other races, yeah, I definitely dealt with that and, and, didn't really ever learn anything because I kept making the same mistake, but definitely dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, what about in regards to like your pre and post race, you mentioned like what you're eating, it was a bit different maybe for a cross country event from like this ultra endurance event. Are you pretty specific in like what you're eating, what that meal is beforehand? Yeah, I, every, um, actually I ate the same meal, but the night before cross country races as ultra endurance races too, but like, like rice and sweet potatoes and kale, like a grain bowl basically and fried eggs, just lots of different interesting, exciting foods, but like, it was always the exact same grain bowl. Like this, and I was living out of my van, the two summers I was racing ultra endurance. So something that's like awesome to make in a van. Cause it's pretty easy to make rice and saute some vegetables. Um, and post, I always eat the food that's at the event because I'm not, um, type a enough to like watch what I eat. <laughs> So then probably my recovery could have been better if I had eaten better, but <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, uh, fly by the seat of your pants, deal with the consequences later. Yeah. But you know In what? All there, I aspects think, of racing. I think eating that Don't food like though me. and like participating in that is part of the event. It's part of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you like mingle with people and I don't know, it's a lot. I enjoy the start line nerves and I enjoy passing people as I'm going down Columbine and cheering for them as they're going up. And I enjoy sitting on the grass with other people who just finished the same race as me, who are just as shelled eating the same, whatever that they serve you after the race. Like I enjoy all those parts of it. I don't want to like go home shower and eat my whatever gluten-free, whatever. Nah, I'm just going to eat the food they have at the event. <laughs> what about dealing with a bad result? Is that like, I feel like for, for most of these races, you just won. But if in dealing with bad results that you've had in your career, does that, does, like, does that hit you immediately? Or are you like kind of like process it, have maybe have some fun in the moment or like not dwell on it instantly? Like what, what happens that like you finish and you're like, oh, that wasn't the result that I wanted. The only, so I don't actually remember ever being like super disappointed in my result because like once I started caring about bike racing, like actually caring, I was doing well. And there might've been one or two times where I didn't podium and I was not stoked about not podium being, but the, my whole career, I felt like an underdog because I started mountain bike racing so late in my life, not that late, but like compared to the women I was racing against who've been doing it since they were juniors or they were in Nike or whatever. So like for me to just bust onto a podium at a U.S. cup race, like my third year into racing bikes at all, like it always felt like any achievement I had was unexpected. And then any lack of achievement was like, that's okay. Like you're still learning how to be a bike racer. So I think that like just keeping that mindset of being like an underdog and knowing that you're learning from every event, like that's what's important, uh, is, is, was important. Um, but the, the few times where like, I, I was kind of disappointed was like a few of the world cups I did. I just really expected more of myself or I had dead legs and I just couldn't give more than like 30th place. And it's really frustrating to like finish 30th and feel like I am capable of more, but it's 
that the same thing, like just always remembering like this is a learning experience and it takes years to build a successful bike racing career, not one season. So, and it's not just your fitness, like you could train for years, but you also have to learn how to race like the nutrition or the strategy or whatever. And so that like always feeling like there's room for improvement and you're learning something I think is the best way to deal with disappointment. For sure. I think that's amazing. That's like the best advice you could give in regards to like dealing with that. There are, there are always positive takeaways. And I think you learn a lot more in, in the losses. Yeah. And it's like, it's like one season is nothing. It's like a blip. It's like the, no time at all. Like five years of bike racing. Okay. Now you've been doing it a little while, 10 years of bike racing. All right. Now you should be in the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Like you should no, feel I, if you're doing it for three years, you don't have all the answers. That's fine. That's a very short amount of time. For sure. I'm with you. It's, it's, it's years. This is a, this is a lifestyle. It's uh it doesn't just happen, oh, yeah. uh, you know, in a season. So I want to go back to, you're talking about like in the world cups, like maybe not necessarily getting the results. And I'm just curious or not getting the results that you wanted. Um, do you think that was from the travel and, and like, there's like, it's like a whole different atmosphere, right? Like you're over in Europe. These are like bigger races. Did, did you like, was that like a, I don't know, a learning experience. I'm sure it was a learning experience, but do you think that played into it at all? Just like different races? I think the travel played into it some. Um, I like, I pride myself on being low maintenance in the sense of like, I don't like, I'm not a fancy, you don't have a, a masseuse and get there a week or a day early for every hour of time change difference that there is or whatever but it does have an impact on your performance in the end. So you have to kind of ex, ex, accept that it will affect your, like how you feel in the race. But I think the biggest part of it is the, the persistence and going back year after year. So if I had started when I was 20 years old and I had been going to Europe to race world cups every year, I would have progressed eventually. But when you do it for two years and then, there was there was drama that like some life events happened that prevented me from continuing to race world cup cross country and so uh, while i would have liked to have seen what had happened if i had stuck with it and kept being persistent like that i think that's the key is just you need to you need to go over there and get 30th place two years in a row you need to keep keep showing up and then every event that you do, yeah, you learn, you see, you, your body changes because the starts are so fast. Like just it's, it takes a long time. Well, let me get your hot take here on this. Do you think that USA cycling in that regard is, and maybe it's not specifically USA cycling. There's a lot of other factors here. Do you think that they're like nowadays making that a bit easier for some cyclists to get over there and do that? Or do you think it's kind of, I'm thinking specifically, I'm thinking of like cyclocross where I know that's a whole different sport, yeah. but where the, the athletes necessarily don't go over there. Do you, do you think that it's different now? I feel like there are more male and female racers going over that, that can, that are qualified to do those races. It's kind of like a broad question. I mean, I don't, I don't think that they've changed too much. Like they've, they act like they want to change, but I think that the reality is 
men and women and, and, and young men and young women who are qualified to be over there racing, if they don't have a team with support and they don't have the financial uh, like uh, advantage to be able to buy their own plane ticket, they're not getting the support that they need. And I don't know what the answer is because I know it's an expensive prospect, but USA Cycling never once helped me in a single race I did. And I was, I, I won the um, US Cup, no, the uh, US Pro XCT series. So I won the cross country series in 2016. And yet I bought my own plane tickets, logged my own, bought my own hotels, didn't have a masseuse, didn't have anyone in the feed zone unless my husband came to help me, didn't have anyone building or washing my bikes. Like I was on my own figuring out like, where do I register? How do I get my license? Where do I get my number plate? Like all of that was on me, which is a lot. And I learned a lot. I'm not, I like, I'm glad I went through all of that, but I know other female racers who've had the same experience. Like if they don't have a team, they're doing a ton of work to get themselves there. So persisting through that to can, to keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up and improve is really hard because then eventually you're like, well, I need to have a job because I can't support this hobby with my winnings. <laughs> so uh, that makes it hard. And that, I mean, we have a strong uh, mountain bike scene right now, despite USA cycling, not because of it. That's, my That's super interesting. That's this is, this is the information that this is awesome. This is because this is stuff that like you don't find or you don't hear about. Yeah, no one talks about it. And then like at the end of a season, I just like happened to talk to Aaron Huck for 10 minutes and she's like, what you're doing? I did that same thing. That was my hustle. I had to do it all on my own and no one helped me out. And they were there with their tent and all of their like whatever. And they didn't even bother to lend a hand. And like, that was my experience. Like, I didn't even know where they, it's <laughs> on one hand, it's a little frustrating on the hand. Like I learned a lot more from doing it my own, but. It's all now, just just <laughs> one more point here. Just one more point, and then we'll go past this. I'm, and maybe you don't know this. I'm just curious. Making like a comparison. Do you know if other countries, their like governing cycling agencies, were providing more help? I know it was easier because you know you know you're not flying from North America. No, I think that they do get a lot more support, and there are other countries that provide salaries for their professional athletes, and they're a lot more supportive of the athletes deeper down in the field, not just number one or number two. And so I think it, there are, there are other countries like the U S where they don't get a lot of support, but there are like in Switzerland and in France where they have a lot more support. And so it, it makes it a lot easier for them to uh, persist and keep showing up and then be successful. <laughs> I mean, look it at those sounds- women. They swept the podium of the Olympics. I know. Yep. That's a great point. It's, it sounds like this could be a like whole podcast in itself, which would be super interesting. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe we'll do this. We'll get some other people on too. That would be great. Yeah. Get Reggie Miller. He's on the inside now. There we go. That's right. <laughs> and he's like um, looking to make real, real valuable change too. Yeah. And I really hope it happens. I really do. Oh yeah. Me too. For the sake of like all the other kids who discover that they have a passion for the sport, but don't have the financial means to 
have mom and dad buy their plane tickets. It also in, seems in like there's a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. It, it seems like there's a lot of um, private mountain bike teams like Bear Development that uh, like have a lot of support because an individual, like when I was on Showwear racing for Scott Tedro, like one individual uh, feels so passionate about uh, giving others access to the sport that they put a lot of money and resources into getting kids the support they need. And so it's like, there's a lot of these private teams where that's happening and that's awesome. But it like, there's not enough spots on these teams for all the kids in the country that need that support. And so that's why it's hard that like USA cycling, isn't the one doing it. It's just like individual people who feel like this is my calling to help others achieve their dreams. Well, I know that you're out there, right? I know you're, you coach, I don't know if you have your own team or you're involved in a team. I know you do the Leadville stuff, but I'm saying, I think you do something locally in California, right? I coached. Uh, so for a long time, I coached NICA in Southern California, uh, mostly with the uh, Laguna Beach uh, interscholastic team, which was mostly middle schoolers and they're all total shredders. But um, this year I like loosely coached the Annadale team, um, which is the local team in my town. And I want to be more involved in the future. It just was kind of a hard year because of COVID and bike. I don't have, we only have one car. So I had to bike commute to school every day. So I'll be more involved in the future, but yeah, I'm like helping out with the high school team is super fun, especially because the kids kick my butt. So it's a great way to stay in shape. That sounds <laughs> like it. Hey, let me, let me ask There's you this. Is there like, I, I, I wish I knew this and I don't know it. Do you have like a specific, if somebody wanted to donate or do something to get out there and help, is there, is like, I'm saying Nike's West coast, but it's like maybe go into the Nike website if you're ever anywhere in the country, but is there anywhere you think would be a good place to go and like get involved? Yeah. I think every town across the U S like if you go to your local bike shop, they'll be able to tell you like, Oh, this is the high school team in town because like every high school mountain bike team is like, Hey, local bike shop, will you sponsor us? So they know like they've, they've been in contact. <laughs> And they probably do give deals to the high school kids or the coaches. Um, but yeah, NICA is a national organization. So through their website, you can find the, the league or the state that a team in your area is working with. So we have two different leagues in California. There's a NorCal and a SoCal league. And I think our NorCal league is splitting into two leagues of its own because we have so many kids, which is insanity. But um yeah, local bike shop is a great place to start. I know my personal high school mountain bike team that I work with doesn't have a website. So you can't just like Google search the Annadale high school mountain bike team. Like we're still working on that, I guess. But yeah, local bike shop or the NICA website. Awesome. Larissa, I have always need another... coaches, volunteers. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Um, for sure. I think people should get more involved and someone like me sitting here, like complaining that I wish the USA was like more represented. Like I could totally be doing something. We should all be doing something. Well, and it's so fun. Cause like the, a lot of teams just need adults on rides. Like they just need warm bodies who have like clean background checks. And so like, if you just on your Tuesday night ride is with the NICA team, like 
these kids are not slow. Like you're not waiting around for slackers. Like it's super fun. And I, I don't know, I've really enjoyed getting to know the kids, like hearing them chit chat about stuff. And then you keep up with all the lingo. Not really. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> super fun too. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I do have another, I wanted to talk about equipment, but I know I've kept you for an hour. I'm sure you have plenty of stuff to do. Well, uh, baby number two is asleep still. So I put okay. him down right before this. Test, and then uh, baby number one is actually being pretty good. She hasn't murdered anything. I pulled the hair <laughs> in the last hour. <laughs> she is hearing it with us though. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I want, I wanted to talk about equipment. And have her. Yeah, she's, she's more. She's more than welcome to chime in if she has any equipment uh, uh, recommendations. Oh yeah, she can tell you about her water strider bike. Oh nice. You have a strider bike. <laughs> All right. What's your equipment question? Well, so I know that you have like sponsors, and I, I don't want to talk about, or you you have have had sponsors. So I want to go into like more like nuanced questions, and I wanted to talk like. What was your trial and error pressure for trial and error for like tire pressures and like for suspension setups? And did those change for cross country and then to like endurance? And did you like mess with all that stuff? I'm just kind of curious, like a little peek behind the curtain. (laughs) My husband's laughing right now because he's also in the shed working. And my, my trial and error was break about eight carbon rims and then finally <laughs> the fact that I shouldn't be running 18 PSI front and rear for every race I do, but I think, or maybe it was lower than 18, but also a lot of the process was like learning how to ride a bike because I used to just like blast plow everything because I had all this power from being a road biker and a triathlete. So I would just go as hard as I could through everything and then just break my rims on the rocks and learning to kind of like float or uh, I don't know, be more gentle and nimble on the bike really made a big difference. Like with the, the rim breaking situation. Cause I, I did break uh, at least five carbon rims and like one in a very catastrophic way. It was really scary. So uh, it like, I think that the two go hand in hand and it was over the course of multiple years that I figured out that like about 18 to 19 in the front and about 19 to 20 in the rear is pretty good for me in most conditions. And like, I don't really mess with that because I am, I'm terrified of rolling a tire. So I don't want to go lower or breaking a rim. And, and I don't think there's any reason why you would ever want to go higher if you're mountain biking. For sure. I have a, I have an engineer husband who used to design bikes for felt and he like makes spreadsheets about things like the nerdiest human that you've ever met. Like, okay, let me make a spreadsheet for you that has all of the gear ratios and the weight advantages and disadvantages of all different drivetrains. We can pick which group you put on your bike based on this spreadsheet that I made. I'm like, uh, just give me the one that's the lightest. (laughs) I saw well, like, your write up. He in your researches gravel, and your, your tells me about block. how the size of the contact patch. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I think this yeah, spread, yeah, yeah. The spreadsheet was used he, for that uh, bike. Put a lot yeah. of time and energy into that. Like three. 
Oh, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. And he also like he uses all of his engineering intelligence to like tell me when I did Leadville the two times. That was like the first Leadville I did was when Eagle came out when everyone was on those like gold 12 speed Eagle cassettes that were just so big. And I was coming across the pavement by the fish hatchery, like get ready to go up power line with these two guys who work for SRAM. I shouldn't even be saying this, whatever. I'm not sponsored by SRAM right now. Maybe I don't know. I'm not. So, so the, one of them I think was the CEO of uh, pork, but anyway, they both have, they both have Eagle and it's this shiny, beautiful gold cassette. And I'm sitting on their wheel, like just oogling these cassettes. Like, I wish I had that. Like, why am I on 11 speed? This is so retro. Like I'm the only person here on 11 speed. I bet I'm the only one I suck. And then as soon as we hit power line, I don't have any more gears. I can't shift down. So I dropped them like a sack of, and <laughs> beat both of them because I had 11 speed. So it turns out he was right. More gears makes you go slower. Oh man, this is con- this is controversial. This is I might have to edit that part out. Well, no one says controversial stuff. Like, have you ever listened to a podcast where someone was like, that bitch Allison Tedrick and just like dishes dirt about the person? Like, no one does that. Right? Everyone's just so nice to everyone. I mean, we should be nice. <laughs> I like Allison. I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just this is throwing. your this is your own beef. This is like crit beef. This is like this is the beef. That's what's so popular. Uh, that's true. Like with the Bahati guys, like now we finally have or um, Legion. Now we finally have drama. That's right. <laughs> I don't have any beef with anyone. I just I just think it's funny. Like there should be like trash talking before. Just kidding. There should. <laughs> it's great that we're all so supportive of each other. Oh, you killing plants? But I'm, I'm with you there. I think that would be good. I think that would get some more eyes on the sport. Like, it's all in fun, right? Like, I, you know, those guys, those Legion guys are all like, it's all in good fun, right? It's bringing it's people. I want to watch those races now. Like, I want to see what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I never cared about men cycling before. And now I do. <laughs> we only care risk- about women's mountain bike because there's so much drama in all those races but it's like good drama like pfp won't move over so net has to jump past her did you see that i did yeah supposedly they, they said that she hit the brakes right supposedly i love yeah yeah i love that so much <laughs> so, i i know that you have like we talked about your running now, but I have my fingers crossed that if you do come back and race mountain bikes or come back and do some gravel racing, that you're going to be like on the start line talking trash. And that's going to be the Velo News headline. <laughs> oh my God, that'd be so funny. <laughs> it's so like, I don't know. I feel like a small part of me is like, if I throw shade, then A, shade will be thrown back at me. But actually, that's fine. Like, let's just accept that that's okay. But then also, what if I get a bad result because of karma? I think we're all a little superstitious, right? Oh, for sure. (laughs) You know, I was just talking to somebody about this. I feel like maybe this is more of a road race thing, but I feel like there's always that guy, at least this is my experience in my races, 
that there's that dude who's chirping like at the beginning of the race and then he always gets he always gets dropped or he gets he flats you know and it's like i there's probably some connection there that's me i'm the obnoxious <laughs> asshole i'm competing with the men so i'm the obnoxious asshole with the men like i feel like i was doing high cascade and, and they're like first 10 miles that everyone was going so slow and I was definitely talking shit to all the dudes I was riding with. And then they all dropped me and like put dust in my face. So that was fun. And, uh, at Belgian waffle ride the first year I got, uh, or the second year, I don't know. One of the years, second, first year, I caught the lead group of men right at the base of black Canyon. And instead of just like quietly slipping into their group, I like, I caught up to them. And then I was like, Oh my God, I'm in the lead group of men. I think all of them were like, what the fuck is a, this annoying girl doing here? And so they all just dropped the hammer. And so I was only with them for like five minutes because then I opened my big mouth and they all dropped me. <laughs> <laughs> but also no I've good. gotten so- in trouble with selfies and races because apparently it's disrespectful to everyone you're racing with. Wait, what? So Say it again. What's disrespectful? What, what did you say was disrespectful? Some girl that I raced with, like, I don't know how long ago, what, had like mad beef with me because I took selfies during BWR the first year because I didn't realize it was such an important race. I thought it was a grand fondo. And apparently posting a bunch of selfies I took during the race communicates that I think that this is so easy for me to beat you that I'm taking selfies. Like, that's not my intention, but I'm sorry that you feel that way. <laughs> you can't please everybody. I think you got to just ride your own race. Everybody needs to do their own thing. And take pictures along the way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's drama. You just don't hear about it. Everyone, like, sweeps it under the rug, try to keep it quiet. <laughs> you know what? I think you could... You should, you have a future and you could do like a podcast of like the, the, the drama podcast, you know, or like anonymously, anonymously blog about it. Like bring it to light. Do you ever read that blog? Team robot kills your face. So I don't read that one, but I'm thinking of, I think on, uh, cycling news, not cycling news, but I can't think of what cycling tips. They do the secret pro. Have you ever read that? Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah. good. That is so good. <laughs> uh, I don't have time for any of this. Don't worry, anyone. It's not actually going to happen. <laughs> we have two toddlers <laughs> and uh, like seven fruit trees that act like toddlers. Fruit? Those are fruit trees? I, I have a lot. We have a lot of fruit trees now. And I thought it sounded like such a great idea to live on a farm and have all of my own produce. But apparently it's like a full-time job. <laughs> or i'm bad at it who knows i think you just answered my i'm moving and i was good i was thinking in the new place i would start a garden and i think you just answered my question it's not it's not gonna happen a regular garden is fine but like if it's not on a drip system your half your life is going to be dedicated to feeding and watering your garden and i mean it's fine it's great it gives you 700 zucchini and you don't know what to do with them and you end up having to put them in people's cars but uh, it is a lot of work. It's like having a baby, another baby. <laughs> Two babies and 10 baby fruit trees. Yeah. And then I like want to get goats, but like, 
Honestly, I'm probably going to murder them. Okay, sorry, true story. Advance. True story, though. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't have a female reference for this, but I know that for the men, I know that Wout Van Art has goats, and I think that's a, a, one of his tricks. And I think uh, Tom Dumoulin also has goats, and I think that's one of his tricks. So I think there's wait, something wait, wait. there. They have <laughs> goats, or the women in their lives have goats, and they are loosely associated with said goats because oh, they're that, not that, home know, enough to take care of the goats and goats like need to be cared for every day you can't just like leave for the tour de france and two weeks later be like hey how are you doing okay you're blowing my mind right now because you are 100 right and i didn't even consider this they have goats <laughs> that's cute <laughs> that's cute <laughs> but i do think goat power is the thing goat power okay maybe they're drinking the goat milk it could be. They're probably I don't know. Drinking the goat. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, now I have to pee because okay. I have to pee all the time. Gracious, Larissa, thank, but thank, thank you so much. Me. Do you have any more any more pressing training questions? No, drama no, questions? No, no, no. This, this was amazing. I definitely will think of more drama questions, <laughs> but we'll do that another time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Have I'll a great evening. You too. Bye-bye.